The last week I got home and my wife said, I thought we were doing Deuteronomy. She says, well, you did come up with one verse from there anyway. <clears throat> last week we really spoke about the fear of the Lord and how you know, Moses, we got to keep in mind, as you're looking at Deuteronomy, yes, it has tons of application for us, but specifically he's dealing with God's chosen people, Israel. And as they're camped on the east side of the Jordan River, you know, they've been in the desert for 40 years. I would think there's a little anxiousness in them to get across that river, but Moses is taking lots of time to teach them and prepare them and to encourage them. You know, he's reminding them of all of these things that took place with their forefathers. Not just the blessings, not just the provision, you know, dividing the Red Sea, just bringing them out of Egypt after the plagues. You know, God did all this by his own mighty hands. And then he fed them all this time in the desert with the manna and the quail. All of these things that he did to them for them. He's reminding them of this to encourage them, but then also to remind them that even after all of that, your forefathers chose wrong. They were led in the wrong direction by fear. When those ten spies came back, they affirmed the promised land was all that God promised it would be, but they were filled with fear because of the report of those ten spies that the, the enemies are too big. Shoot, they're too tall. I mean, that's intimidating, right? They're too tall. The walls of the cities, they're too fortified. They're too, too high. They go to the heavens. So he's reminding them and preparing them. And one of the things he reminds them of throughout the whole book is what we talked about last week, having the fear of the Lord, the reverence, the awe of the Lord, of who he is. Think about what he's done. And I, I think that's a great reminder for each one of us. You know, we, we were delivered from something called sin. We were brought forth out of darkness. We were rescued from the pit of hell. And he did this out of his grace, mercy, and love for us through Jesus. We need to be reminded sometimes of what was so we can really appreciate what is and give him thanks and praise and honor and glory for what is. Today we're going to look at what I mentioned last week, I mentioned it quite a bit, really, the love that we're supposed to have for the Lord. Oh, fear and love, the awe and reverence of God and love, they're, they're inseparable, really. If we love Him for who He is and what He's done, we should be in such awe and amazement of Him, reverence for Him. There should be a godly fear that this is the Creator of all things, spoke Him into being. So fear and love, I hope we understand, they're not one or the other. They're, they're truly united together. And throughout the book of Deuteronomy, one of my, one of my hopes was with, when we study Deuteronomy, we sometimes have this old-fashioned wrong idea about God, that he was somehow different in the Old Testament than he was or is in the New Testament. We all know it's the same God, right? Same yesterday forever. We know that. Were there things different? Absolutely. They're absolutely different. There's a different covenant completely. You know, when we talk law, we don't talk about following the law so that we can be saved. Not at all. And honestly, that didn't save anybody in the Old Testament either. The law to them revealed sin and death. Paul makes it clear to us that, that there's 
a same God, a loving God that is to be feared and held in awe, held in awe and reverence for who He is. So we're going to look at this morning what it looks like to love God the way that He wants to be loved. Also, may seem like a no-brainer, but who's called to love Him like that? And then, how do we do it? Can we do it? So the title of my message this morning is simply, Love God with all your heart. Love God with all your heart. And I want to read the text that we're going to be looking primarily at. We'll come back to it in a little while, but the text I want to read is in Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 6. The Jewish people, the Shema, some of the most significant scripture in the whole Old Testament, the whole law, were these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words which I command you today shall be on your heart. Telling us how to love it. We see who the group of people is he's talking to specifically, but he could just as easily be talking to us. He tells us when we look at the Hebrew meaning, there's two different words in the Hebrew for the Lord and the God there, which give us some revelation about what he really desires for us in terms of a relationship. And then he does tell us how to love him. All our mind, soul, strength, heart. Loving God. You know, in the New Testament, most of us would say unequivocally, yeah, God is a God of love. We know that he says he is love. God is love. It's the very essence. And we read the New Testament, we pick up then that spirit of love throughout the New Testament. A couple of verses in the New Testament that make that clear to us and should really catch our attention. One is in 1 John 4.19, the epistle of John, where he says, we love him because he first loved us. We're coming back to that thought. We love him because. There's a reason we love him, because he first loved us. And then another verse is in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, can you finish that verse? You keep my commandments. Love and obedience are tied together in God's heart and in his eyes. When we look at these New Testament scriptures, and really the spirit of the whole New Testament with the love of God, if we look at Deuteronomy and the entire book, it could almost be an exposition of God's love for us. You may not have thought of it that way, but there is no book in the Old Testament that reflects the spirit of the love of God more than the book of Deuteronomy. God demonstrated his love towards the Israelites. Think about it. I mentioned some of them in, in, my, in the opening there. You know, first of all, he chose them. He chose them. Why did he choose them? He wanted to. Why did he choose you? Why did he choose me? Boy, not because it's anything in me. Not because I earned it or deserved it. Probably quite the contrary. He knew how desperately I needed him. How desperately you probably needed him. He chose his people. He demonstrated his love to them by doing that. He liberated them from bondage of Egypt. Whether we think of it this way or not, man, you and I were in a bondage to Egypt. Only our Egypt was sin. 
We had no power over it, according to the Scriptures. He delivered us, set us free from that bondage. And he revealed himself to his people on Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb, depending on your, your, your Bible. He revealed himself to, you know, the, 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 the flaming mountain, the smoke, the, the earthquake, the thunder, and the lightning. Scared living tar out of Israel. Moses, you go. We're not going any closer. You know what? He's revealed himself to us. You know, when Jesus was asked that question about the Father, he says, hey, here I am. What you see here is the Father. He revealed himself through Jesus to us, to you and me, but he also revealed Jesus to us, God himself to us, through the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us, revealing the Father to us 24-7 if we listen, if we're observant. But he revealed himself to Israel, his chosen people. He took care of them. He nurtured them. He protected them. He fed them. And he promises to meet every single one of our needs because he loves us, because he loved his chosen people. As the children of God, Israel was so blessed, and yet they still rejected him in so many ways. What he wanted from them was simply this. Recognize all the ways I'm demonstrating my love to you and love me back. Love me back. You know, and it's weird because we might think, what an insecure God. That, he's not insecure. He's God. He's been around a long, long time. Before he created earth, he was. But he knows what a blessing it is for us to experience his love and what a blessing it is to love him back. It is an amazing thing to be able to love someone with your whole heart. It brings a blessing to you as you're the one loving the other. Moses defined the relationship this way in, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. He says this to Israel. Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear, reverence him, be in awe of him, be in awe of the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, obedience, Obedience, because he knows obedience brings blessings into our lives. That's what he wants us to do, walk in obedience, walk in all his ways, and to love him. And because we love him, we want to serve him and serve the Lord the God with all the heart and with all his soul. Moses tells Israel exactly what God wants. And I would offer to us that's exactly what he wants from us today. Same thing. We're talking about a personal relationship with God, even in the Old Testament. Even in the Old Testament, God desired intimacy with his people. But they could never have the intimacy that you and I can have because of the law. Because the law did not deal with sin the way that Christ did on the cross. You know, we're probably most of us familiar with the story in Matthew and in other Gospels where there's a Pharisee, an expert in the law, someone who is an expert of the law, knows all about the law. And he comes to Jesus and he says and asks a question. He says to Jesus, of all of the commandments, which one's the most important? Now, 
You and I might just think of the Ten Commandments when we hear that question. Lord, you gave us Ten Commandments on the mountain. Which one's the most important? We don't understand that the Jewish people, by the time they got through receiving the law, there was approximately 613, most people say, commandments given. Lord, which one of those 613 is the most important commandments? And we probably know, or at least know most of the answer that he gave him. And I'm going to read it from Matthew 22. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second one is like it. You shall love the Lord, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Probably recognize the fact that neither one of those are listed under the Ten Commandments. We just read in Deuteronomy where the Shema, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and in the New Testament it adds with your mind. We're familiar with maybe. But that second one, where did he come up with that one? It's almost hidden in the book of Leviticus where he's giving all this law. It literally says exactly those things. In Leviticus 19, verse 18, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So of all of these commandments that he gave, 613 of them, he didn't give them one of the ten. He gave them these other two that a lot of times most of us wouldn't even have thought of them. But as we look at the Ten Commandments, and they're also listed for you in Deuteronomy chapter 5 if you want to read through them all. But in in those Ten Commandments, if we look at them, we'll see, I think in a way at least, God is laying out for us some understanding of what it means to love love God and what it means to love your neighbor. I'm not going to read the Ten Commandments in their entirety, but just so you get the picture a little bit, when we talk about the Ten Commandments, verse 4 really give you a picture of what it means to love God. First one, of course, you will have no other gods. He is it. He is God. Don't make any idols. Don't worship anything else but me. Number two. Number three, don't use my name in vain. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. And number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For God's people, Israel, in that time, these these four commandments say, you want to know how to love God? This is kind of a new concept to you. You Try to do these four things. And for the rest of us that don't know how to love people, he gives us the next six commandments. Starts with honor your father and your mother. Don't kill anybody. Don't murder anybody. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony or bear false witness. Don't covet anything that your neighbors that God has given them. Don't covet their wife. Don't covet their home. Don't covet their cars. Don't covet their anything. When you look at this, it's almost like God is saying, I gave you the ten, and they're a picture of all of what the rest of the chapter of, of the book of Deuteronomy is going to be about. 
If you read through Deuteronomy, you'll notice once you get past chapter 6, chapter 6 through 18, talk about what's it look like to apply those first four commandments. In other words, what does it look like to love God? And then when you get through those chapters, you go from 19 to 26, it's like the last six commandments are be expounded upon. And then the last few chapters, 27 to 34, they say, here's the blessings that God will pour out on you when you love people and love me like that. And also he said, here's the curses that will come upon you if you don't. So the book of Deuteronomy in its entirety is all about the love of God. And again, under the old covenant, the love was still there. Love was still there. Let's return to the my text. Well, I want to share one other scripture just to confirm that. Remember in Romans 13.10, it says, Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. It's all about the love of God. All right, back to our text. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. These words which I command you today shall be on your heart. I'm going to break that verse up just a little bit and look at this, and I hope you can see how it can apply to us in so many ways. It's not just Old Testament because it's in the, under the Old Covenant. None of it applies to us. The Bible's clear that all Scripture is beneficial for our training, our teaching, to be built up. We can't apply it all because some of it applies to old Israel. Don't get confused on that. But when we look at that, hear, O Lord, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Hear, O Israel, excuse me. First thing I want to focus on is the people, Israel, Israel. And then he describes this as the Lord is our God. Hear, O Israel, hear this chosen people. What made them, what made God choose them? I know this, I think we all know this, but it's important to understand. Why did God choose Israel? They were such a nice, kind, compassionate people. He felt sorry for them because they weren't being treated right. Absolutely, there was nothing in Israel that earned the right for God to choose them. Nothing. He chose them. Can you see the similarity to you and me? He chose them. He chose us. We couldn't earn it in any way, shape, or form. They're his people because he chose them. In Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. God has chosen you and me out of all the peoples on the earth to be his treasured possession. And we are a holy and righteous people, way more holy and righteous than these Old Testament saints because we are holy and righteous because of the blood of Christ. Big difference. He declared them holy and righteous because he chose them. He didn't just declare us holy and righteous. He provided a way for us to literally be holy and righteous through Christ, his chosen people. They didn't make God theirs. God made them his. You didn't choose God no matter what you think. He chose you. And you responded by grace to the offer of salvation, and you received it by faith. 
you know, nations, all the nations around Israel chose their gods. They chose what idols they were going to worship. If they were going to worship the sun or if they were worshiping a frog, whatever they were going to worship, they chose who their gods were going to be. God chose his nation, Israel. Now, we look at that and say, yeah, what? that's crazy, crazy stuff. I can't believe they chose all those gods. Well, guess what? Some of the gods that we are choosing in our world today are just as crazy. We have people or groups of people worshiping all kinds of things. They may not call them idols, but that's what they worship. And it's getting more and more that way. People want to create their own God. They maybe even infer that it's the God of the Bible, but it's not the God of the Bible when you look how they define Him and the character that they put upon their God. God is still a holy and righteous God. We are still to fear Him, be in awe of Him, reverence Him. We are still to obey Him. There is so much going on in the world today that's being embraced by churches, by Christians, that is absolutely nothing but sin, and it's being welcomed into the church because it's somebody's idol. Sadly, this is a... (laughs) I shouldn't go here. This is a tangent, but we shouldn't allow their idols in the door for any reason. A church, not of God, is contrary to Scripture. God chose us. He chose you and me. He wants us to hold Him in awe and reverence. He wants us to love Him, serve Him. They were chosen because God chose them. They're God's chosen people because He redeemed them. There's such a picture for us in all of this that he redeemed them from what? From slavery and bondage to Egypt. He redeemed them. With his mighty right hand, he redeemed them. The plagues, the miracles, his presence, his provision, he redeemed them. They were his chosen people. In Deuteronomy 4.34, it kind of summarizes it like this. It says, Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? He redeemed them. He redeemed us. Miracle of salvation through what Christ did. There is no greater miracle. To be born again by the Spirit of God, there is no greater miracle. He has redeemed us. He paid a price that we could never pay. Jesus had to die because of the consequences of Mike's sin. Your sin. We didn't have to do anything except say yes to when he offered us the gift. That's what he's asking for his people. He chose them. He redeemed them. And they're his people because he made a covenant with them. Without going back into all of the covenants, but the covenants go all the way back to Abraham. They actually go back further. But Abraham, in Genesis 12, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. He made a promise. And man, there was a lot of things that went wrong before he fulfilled that promise. 
The people did so many things. But he had made a covenant, and he is faithful to his covenant. He wasn't going to break it. In Deuteronomy 5, 2, there's the covenant he makes with the people at Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. He makes a new covenant with them. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them all the law. He, he, can, he, he makes a covenant and makes a promise that I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And he's faithful to that. He's made a covenant with you and me. It's a new covenant. It's a better covenant. It's a better way. It's through Christ. We're his chosen people. We have that covenant to hang on to, the covenant of his grace, his mercy, his love through Jesus. He provided a way for us. And he had promised he was going to do that way back in Genesis. And he reaffirmed it, and everything pointed to him all the way to the cross. He redeemed his people. He says, just love me with all your heart. Who does he say that to? And I think we understand this, but that command is only to his people. That command isn't for the unbelievers because they can't love him that way. To the unbelieving world, what does he say? Repent. Confess your sins and accept by grace the salvation that I'm offering you. And then he'll say, love me with all your heart because of what I've done for you. John chapter 15 Verses 16 and 17. I've made a lot of application. I hope you can see it so clearly to us in our walk with the Lord. But in John 15, starting in verse 16, he says, You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And I chose, appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And this is my command. Love each other. So our faith, our faith that we have is not the basis of why God chose us. Our faith is because he chose us, because he did it. I didn't have much faith. I didn't have any faith when he chose me. Because he chose me. And I responded, just like all of you, I hope, did. Because of that, we have faith. And it's a growing faith, an increasing faith as we walk with the Lord, or it should be. Then he said, Hear, O Israel. Then he said, The Lord is our God. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but there's two different words there in the Hebrew. Lord is the word Yahweh, which means the existing one. Remember when Moses was at the burning bush? And he says, Who are you? What did God answer through the burning bush? I am that I am. Yahweh personal name. It's such a personal name in the mind of the Jewish people, they hardly will even say the name of God. Really, if they're very religious Jews, the only time they use the name of God is when they're in prayer or reading the Torah. They kind of took the third commandment, actually, and, and twisted it out of shape. Any other way, they, in their mind, is using the Lord's name in vain. But it's so holy. But it's very personal, and that's why they they respect it and had such awe for it. It's a personal thing. So when he's saying this, you know, Lord, it's a personal thing. It's like, I'm your Lord. That's who I am. I am the existing one. I have always existed. And then it says, our Lord is our God. And it uses the word for God is Elohim. And actually, this is a sidebar, Elohim is actually a plural form of that word. 
many people think it's a direct reference to the Trinity. Our God, Elohim. So when you would read that, the Yahweh, the personal Yahweh, the personal God, the existing one, the one that's always been and always will be, that personal God is Elohim, Yahweh and Elohim. He's the one true God. Again, saying to them, coming out of Egypt where they had all kinds of God and all kinds of idols, he's saying to them, I am the one true God. There is no other God. If you believe in me, you can't redefine me. You can't change who I am. This is it. Monotheism, one God. There's this thing called monism. You look at the two words, the only thing that seems to be missing is a theos, God. In monism, all is one. Everything is one. Good and evil, they're all one. Everything is one. Sounds crazy, but it's in our culture. It's ever-increasing. God is saying, there's one God, and I am the God of the Bible. That's who I am. I am holy. I am righteous. I am love. I am just. I'm all those things. Nothing else. I hate sin. All sin. I hate it all. I sent my son to die for all sin. Receive me, all your sin is forgiven, no matter what it is, no matter what it was. That's because I love you so much. He's the one who revealed himself to us through Jesus. He revealed himself to them at the mountain, as I said. Then I want to focus on the last part of the verse a little bit. Again, without getting super deep into any of this, he says, uh, to love the Lord your God. Love him. The Lord is God. Love him. With all your heart. Pastor Bob spent a lot of time teaching on the heart in adult Bible class. Just to simplify it as best I can because it's not easy to simplify. It's everything. It's the whole entire entity of who you are, body, soul, spirit, God, everything. All your desires, all your thinking, it's all of these things. The mind, the will, intent, your motives, all of these things are included in when he says your whole heart, your thinking, your feeling, your desires, all of these things. He's saying, I want all of that. I want you to love me with your whole heart. And he's almost like then reaffirming because within the heart, we have the soul. You know, there is another meaning to the word soul. It, it, it means the life. It's the life force. In other words, I want your whole life. Love me with your whole life. Are you willing to lay down your life for me? Are you holding anything back from me? I want you to love me with your whole soul, with all your strength, all your might. One of the meanings, if you look it up in a lexicon, is exceedingly much. Love me exceedingly much. Love me with you're exceedingly much. You could go down the road and say, what does that mean? Everything you got. I mean everything. All of the things I've blessed you with, love me with that because they're all mine. They're not really yours, are they? What's your, what's your exceedingly much? Everything that he's blessed us with. Are we willing to love him with everything that we have, everything that he's given us? Or is it ours? I want it all. Every bit of it, it's all mine. 
Are you willing to love him supremely above all else? Willing to give up everything that we have if he commands us to do that? Willing to give your life up to him into a lifetime of service if he asks for it? And really, we're all called to do that anyway. And then he goes on in the verses that I haven't read. And I'm going to read these, but I'm not going to spend much time on this this week. I think that's where the Lord will lead us next week. He reminds them the importance of remembering in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, and in verse 12. He says, These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you are sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lay down and when you get up. Verse 12, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. I don't want to go there very far today, but teach your children. Man, I said this week to someone, I am so glad my children are adults. But my grandchildren aren't. Grandchildren aren't. Should the Lord tarry my great-grandchildren? What are they going to hear? What are they being taught? What are they? Man, makes me so angry what they're being taught. And it's not happening in our homes the way it should. We can do a better job in our churches. But our kids are being taught many, many years out of our sight stuff that we would have never learned if you're my age in any school anywhere. They're being taught and the world's reinforcing it. Stay tuned, I guess. Maybe I won't get angry next week. But but church, he's reminding the, the Hebrew people and he's reminding Israel this because these are the children. Their forefathers all failed and died in the desert and buried in the sand. And he's saying, you know what? Teach your children so they don't do the same thing that your forefathers did. I'm reminding you of what they did so you don't do the same thing that your forefathers did. We need to be reminding and be reminded and then remind our children and our grandchildren of who God is. Do we teach awe and reverence for this God that created us? Do we teach them that He is foremost? We need to love Him above all else. Not for that. Stay tuned. My next question won't be any more pleasant. (laughs) Sorry. With all that I've shared, how are you doing? How are you doing? Many of you hate that question as much as me. How are you doing? Can you imagine being Peter when Jesus is speaking to him? After Peter's denied him, after his death, burial, and resurrection. And if I'm Peter, I'm probably hoping, God, I hope he forgot. I hope he forgot. And then Jesus looks at him amidst the other disciples and says, Peter, do you love me? God, that's just not fair, right? How would you like to be Peter? 
And God asks you that question. Mike, do you love me? Well, yeah, Lord. I'd be like Peter probably. Yeah, Lord, of course I love you. I mean, I like you a lot. You're really cool. You created all kinds of stuff and did miracles. No, no, Mike, do you really love me? Well, yeah, you did all these amazing things for me. Really, really love me with your whole heart, with your mind, your body, your soul, your strength. Do you love me that way? You know, Jesus is reminding us, I chose you. I redeemed you. I went to the cross for you. My body was broken for you. My blood was shed for you. You were dead and I gave you life. I breathed life into your very body and I gave you faith and and repentance. I made a covenant with you. I watch over you before the world. A single word is on your tongue. I know it's going to come out of your mouth. I love you with an everlasting love and unconditional love. Do you love me? Do you love him like that? Well, I don't. Some of you are probably familiar familiar with R.C. Sproul, a theologian. I can't tell you where he said this, and I'm not even sure he did, but he's given credit for saying these words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. He said, with all your heart, with all your strength. Then he supposedly said, I haven't even done that for five minutes in my entire life. I would be able to probably agree if R.C. Sproul really said those words. And you know what that should do to us? Cause us to give such thanks and rejoice for the Savior that we have in Jesus because we couldn't do that. In our own strength, it's impossible. Impossible. But through Christ, we have a Savior. We have a mediator. We have forgiveness of sins. Through Him. So even though it's we want to do better, we're never going to do it perfectly. Never. But that is still the Father's heart. I shouldn't say never because in eternity we will. Once we're in his presence in heaven, we will. But until then, we won't. And don't, don't let me beat you up and don't beat up yourself and don't let the devil beat you up. Rejoice that we have a Savior. Rejoice that Jesus paid a price we could never pay. Rejoice that 1 John 4.19 that I read earlier says, we love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. Let's pray. Worship team wants to come on up. Lord, I thank you and praise you so much. Even this morning, some of the songs we sang about your love and who you are and how faithful you are. God, I give you thanks that we can rejoice in a Savior. We can rejoice in a Savior that the nation of Israel we're reading about never knew. They never knew. We have a Savior who's paid a price for us. We could never pay. Redeemed us from the power of sin and death. By your grace, we were able to receive that gift by faith and become those children of God, chosen by you, God. Thank you so much. Lord, I pray that you teach us more by your Spirit of what it means to love you like the way you want to be loved. God, we, we forget 
much you love us. Help us to remember. Bring those things back to our remembrance of what you've done for us. God, that that remembering stir in our hearts that we would love you more. We love you more every day. The more we know you, the more we love you. The more we love you, the more we'll know you. God, I praise you and thank you. God, I pray that our love is just a blessing to you as our Heavenly Father. If you're able, let's stand together and close with this song.